Oh, I thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. I'm thankful that he went to a cross, that he won the victory. I'm thankful that every so often I can lift my eyes and remember that. Because sometimes that's what I need to do, is I need to lift my eyes and realize that he has already won the victory. Sometimes I need to look to the end and see that the victory is won. But I'm thankful that he walks with me through it all as well. I know heaven someday is going to be great and I look forward to that day. But I know right here on earth sometimes circumstances and situations seem to cloud it and crowd everything out. But he promised me victory and he promised that he'll stay with me, he'll comfort me, he'll walk with me. I'm thankful that God is with me every moment of every day. Whenever I call on him, he's there, he's faithful, he's true. Amen. If you need strength in this place, all you got to do is call on his name. And he'll be there. Oh, thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. It's great to be in the house of the Lord on Wednesday night, worshiping him together. Amen. I'm glad I can come receive strength. I'm glad I can come and bind sickness. (laughs) Amen. We were were in Casey on Sunday, preaching at my friend's church, and they... They, uh, it's a smaller church. They still ask if you have a prayer need. So that's dangerous when you've got p- people like Cooper in the crowd. So it was all just about to be, let's all pray. And he raised his hand. So I got to give it to him. He's in a different church and he's willing to raise his hand there. Pray that the coronavirus would not come to Illinois. So. I think a few other viruses have made it. Amen. We got a lot of people sick tonight, but I'm glad that you're here. Amen. Glad that you are here in this place. And uh, tonight, we're going to be reading a couple passages to start out. First one is in Leviticus chapter 19. The other one is Acts chapter 1. We'll be reading these. It's good to be back. I'm, I think I've got all the fried, fried out of my system. Thought it'd be good to take that airplane journey with the fried pizza in my stomach man that was good you haven't lived till you've had fried pizza man I, I got it it was a three mile drive I got my fried pizza and chips and drove three miles and thought I was going to grade papers by the time I got to the that three miles the styrofoam was soaked and then the paper underneath the styrofoam was soaked Man, that's good grease right there. That's good. That's good. Sizzle of your pizza in the fryer. Man. Let me just warn you, it's got to be a special kind of pizza. Do not take a regular frozen pizza and throw it in frying oil. It doesn't work. It does not work. Uh, <laughs> Leviticus chapter 19. Uh, and... Uh, Verses 9 and 10 here we're going to read. In teaching class, I said not to do this, but I'm going to give a couple disclaimers at the very start and then not mention it again. Tonight, as I'm preaching tonight, I felt compelled to preach this message. And I realized that it may be to a more narrow audience. I pray that the Lord speaks to you in some way tonight. Also, I I don't tell a lot of illustrations when I preach typically. My wife tells me I should. 
Uh, but the problem that I have is when I look at an illustration, I, it's, it's, it's bad, but I start seeing why it doesn't work. <laughs> so I'm going to attempt to use something as an illustration tonight, and I realize that not every part of it works. So if you want to point that out to me afterwards, I'm well aware of all the reasons why it may not work, but I feel compelled to preach this tonight. So I'm going to, and I'll be in my office at 9 o'clock in the morning if you want to come talk to me. It's usually earlier, but it's, I got to take Isaac to school, so I got to sleep in a little. Leviticus chapter 19, verses 9 and 10, it says, And when you reap the harvest of your land, thou shalt not wholly reap the corners of thy field, neither shalt thou gather the gleanings of thy harvest, and thou shalt not glean thy vineyard, neither shalt thou gather every grape of the vineyard, thou shalt leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. Then Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, very familiar passage. But ye shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. For a little while tonight, I'd like to preach to you from this title, To Every Corner. To Every Corner. I want us to pray that the Lord would anoint our ears to hear His Word. If He wants to speak to me tonight, I want Him to have His way in my life tonight. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus... Lord, I pray we know that you are in this place. I'm thankful for each person that's gathered here in your name. And Lord, we know that your word is anointed. I pray that you would anoint my ears to hear your word tonight, Lord, that your word would find its mark in my life. And Lord, I pray that it would do a work in me, that it would transform me, change me, encourage me, challenge me where it needs to. God, I believe you and trust you for the work that you have in this place tonight. I give you praise and honor and glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated this evening. Jewish law had provisions for all kinds of things. We're not going to get into all kinds of Jewish law. But it had provisions for any number of things. Uh, hundreds and hundreds of laws to cover uh, every kind of thing that might happen. There could be a law found for just that thing. Now while we think of the law in a New Testament dispensation, and of course we read the works of Paul and how he speaks of the law, and he speaks of it in a certain way. And when we think of the law, understanding that now we live in a dispensation of grace, and we see, uh, we look back to the Old Testament, we often think of the law in terms of simply judgment and punishment, which it did possess. You read it, and just about everything bad that you did, they'd take you and your family and your cattle and your crops and your cat and your dog and stone you. That was pretty much it. You didn't do anything wrong because they were going to stone you for it. So when we think of the law, we think of judgment and punishment many times. But I think it's important for us to remember that the law was given by God. The law was God-given. And again, I know how Paul speaks of it. He's speaking of it in comparison of the two dispensations. But we must remember that it was God who gave the law. And it was given by a God whose characteristics also include love and mercy and justice. We do understand that there is judgment, that there is punishment found even under the new dispensation, that there are consequences. It doesn't erase consequences. It doesn't re, uh, erase uh, a day of judgment. But we also understand that even in the Old Testament, if he's a God that never changes, that if he's a God of love now, he was a God of love then. If he's a God of mercy and grace now, he was a God of mercy and grace then as well. 
In Leviticus chapter 19, we find that God is speaking to Moses and he's giving all sorts of laws. And the chapter begins with the declaration from God found in Leviticus 19 and verse 2. It says, says God speaking, Speak unto all the congregation of the children of Israel and say unto them, Ye shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. This declaration of holiness on God's part is given to his people and, and to reciprocate God says, not only am I holy, but because you are my people, there is a call for you to be holy as well. That it's not enough for me to be holy, but you must reflect my holiness to those around. That you must be a reflection of who I am, an ambassador, as Paul says, of who I am. And then we find the rest of this chapter, it it follows with God telling us what holiness looks like in various ways. And in verse 9, God starts dealing with holiness in regards to the harvest and harvesting. He starts with the verses that we read. And if you, your, your Bible has section titles, heading titles, it may uh, have a, a heading title similar to this of love your neighbor as yourself as it starts the verses we read in verses 9 and 10. We find this interesting law that is given to landowners as they harvest their respective crops and Somewhat inside of us in a capitalistic society, this kind of doesn't quite go with what we might believe. But uh, he, he speaks to landowners and gives them this, this law and that they were to leave the corners of their fields unharvested. That when they collected wheat from the field, they were to leave the corners unharvested. That when they were to go in the vineyard, they were to leave certain parts unharvested. When they would would go and whatever it was that they had farmed, that they were to leave some of the land unharvested. Deuteronomy, it goes into greater detail and we're not going to go into all of that. Uh, That's that's, uh, sort of an interesting read. Might not be depending on the day. But it talks about if you drop a certain number, if you drop this, then you can pick it up and all of these different things and and what happens. But the emphasis in both passages is that there should be something left in the field for those less fortunate or the stranger who is passing by. This is a God that we serve who is a God of love and a God of mercy and a God of justice. And even in the law dispensation, we see that God makes a way for the less fortunate or for the stranger, the foreigner who is passing by to receive what they need. Well, there's all other kind of details involved in these harvesting laws. We're not going to get into all that again, but the best example that we can find of these laws in action, the, the best illustration we can find of this is contained in the book of Ruth. In the book of Ruth, we find this story unfolding. Ruth is from Moab. She uh, uh, marries uh, an Israelite boy and, and tragedy happens to the family and, and all the men die. And, and, and Naomi, the mother-in-law of Ruth, she decides to go back to Israel and Ruth goes along with her and Things happen. She ends up there uh, in Israel with her mother-in-law. And her mother-in-law is in a condition where uh, she is returning in shame. She left Israel in a time of famine. In a time when she should have maybe stayed true, she left in that time of famine. And now she's lost everything. And so she comes back to Israel. In fact, she has so much shame and regret in her life that she tells people to call her by a different name. To call her literally sorrow. To say that she is sorrowful. Well, we find that when Naomi returns, she has no land any longer. There are no male figures immediately in the family. She has no land anymore. And of course, Ruth, she is a foreigner. She has none either. She's just come into this land. And it is with this law in Leviticus that we read 
that Ruth takes this law and goes to gather grain for food in a field. She finds a field and she starts to gather from what those ahead have dropped in the corners of the field. She was allowed to gather what those gleaning had dropped. She was allowed to go into the corners of the field and the story unfolds of of the owner of the field where she was gathering grain. His name was Boaz and he comes to inspect the harvest and what's going on and he sees Ruth gathering in the poor and foreigner section, if you will. And he is attracted to her. (laughs) He finds her beautiful to look at and tells the reapers to let her gather wherever she wants, to drop a little extra for and to eventually the story goes, she can gather wherever she wants. And, and the long story short is Boaz and Ruth end up married and Ruth finds herself in the lineage of David and of Jesus himself. She goes from gathering in the corners, the outskirts of the field, she finds herself in the middle of the messianic lineage. It's quite a story of transformation. As a church grows, it finds itself in unusual places where there's many needs. And as the church grows, we find in the church the possibility for more disconnection. It's harder to look around on a Sunday morning now when there's about 250 people and at a quick glance see who's not there than it is when there's 30. If there's 30, then you probably all know it because that person was probably supposed to do something that day. And now bitterness has crept into the... No, never mind. (laughs) Things change. When that happens, it's possible to become disconnected. Because we start to realize that, you know what? Perhaps I won't be noticed if I'm not there. It may take a while for anyone to notice, which, again, may make us feel one way, but it may also make allowances to make us feel like we can disconnect on some level. It's easy for people to feel disconnected as things change. It's hard to go through change and everyone feel the same level of connection, whatever it is, whether it's at work, whether whatever it is, when things begin to change, there's always going to be people who feel some level of discomfort and, and, and disconnection is, is possible at those points. Now, I do want to say this, that I believe that the gospel is exclusive, first of all, in that it does say that we, what must I do to be saved? That there are requirements for the kingdom of God. However, the gospel is also inclusive in that it says, whosoever will, let him come. I firmly believe that. And I firmly believe when scripture says, let the spirit and the bride both say come, that the church should be an inclusive place. It is not for me to decide who God brings into the kingdom. If God brings somebody into the kingdom, then I need to treat them as if they are in the kingdom of God and they are part of the family of God. Despite what anyone may think, I believe that this is an inclusive church. I think that we endeavor to include people in this church. (laughs) That's one reason why we have invested in life groups. I think they provide an opportunity for people to be involved in any area. I think they provide the opportunity for someone to participate, to, to start something if they, don't want, if they feel like there's something that, that isn't happening. They can do that with very little red tape and be a part and be connected to the body of Christ. I think that's important. Amen. If you want to do it, you can. If you want to participate, you can. Absolutely. But despite whatever efforts are made, there will always still be some who feel like a roof. A stranger, a foreigner, an outsider, 
marginalized to some degree. I already gave my disclaimer at the start. And it's to you that I speak tonight. Those who feel like in the scope of things, for whatever reason, whether it be they're not talented enough, not worthy enough, not accepted enough, and not part of the plan somehow pass by, whether it's because of age or change or whatever may have taken place, on some level you feel like Ruth. This happens in groups of people naturally. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 22 through 25. Paul says, nay. (laughs) I knew if I just, that's called a pregnant pause. They teach you that in preaching class in Bible school. If you just stay quiet for long enough, you'll get a response from the crowd. And that's what I was wanting, a horse noise to come back. There we go. Sometimes it's an amen, sometimes it's a horse noise. This is not a pregnant pause. I'm going to move on quickly. Nay, much more, those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon, those we be, these, upon these we bestow more abundant honor, and, and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked, that there should be no schism in the body but that the members should have the same care one for another. Now, first of all, I want to say that Paul would not be addressing this issue if there was not a problem in this area. Paul was a pretty straightforward guy. He doesn't doesn't mince words. He's not going to write about stuff to people that don't need it. So obviously there's an issue in the Corinthian church with people feeling left out. There is an issue that people feel like they are not part of the body, whether they think they're less honorable. Uh, There's this whole passage in chapter 12. They don't think they're important. They they think they're less honorable. They they think they're feeble. Other people feel that. Whatever it is, there's an issue that the body is disjointed enough that Paul feels that he needs to write. And this tends to happen with groups of people no matter the intentions. But we also read Paul's words of what should be. There should be no division, or schism is the word that he used, no division, no separation. And let me say, this is a divine thing that happens. Now, that doesn't mean we just sit around and, you know what, I'm just waiting on God. No, but we understand where God has brought us together. There's something we must do. We cannot exclude people, but there is a divine thing that happens with unity. In fact, it says, God hath tempered the body. Which, that's kind of interesting there, because tempered means, he, if you temper something, that means you shape it, you beat it a little bit. <laughs> that God tempers us together. Sometimes He's got to beat us, sometimes He's got to beat us together, but God has tempered the body. That means that God has mixed or united the body. Unity is a spiritual endeavor that cannot fully be achieved in the natural. Naturally, people, there are divisions that are created when people come together. But there is a spiritual component that we cannot neglect. That as a church continues to grow, as a church continues to experience revival, we need to understand it will take an act of God to unite us together the way that we need to be. God has brought us together and He will unite us together. Let me say that's why it's important for you to stay spiritually connected to what God is doing. 
You've got to stay spiritually connected because it is a spiritual work that must take place. We can't like each other, do enough events, come together enough for what we need to have happen, happen just naturally. It must happen spiritually. And so I've got to do that in spiritual environments. That's why you can't miss church. You've got to connect spiritually. That's why when there's prayer called, you need to be at prayer because it's not just about we should be there. There's something spiritual that happens that can't happen any other way. I've got to be spiritually connected. If we fulfilled everything that everyone wanted the church to do and be, it would still not unite us the way that God wants us to be. It must be a spiritual act. It must be a spiritual endeavor. You know what? 65 events where we're together can be less helpful than one prayer meeting, one altar service where two people pray together because something spiritual takes place. But again, it's to those who feel less honorable that I speak. I'm not going to get into why you feel less honorable. Why maybe you feel disenfranchised or disconnected. Whose fault it may be. I'm not going to talk about that tonight. But I do want you to realize that God made provision for this. And He shows us the way towards honor in the body. That God understands who we are. (laughs) He created us. He knows our frame. The word might be, he knows our foibles. There's a great word to use in conversation this week. He knows our faults. He knows the way that we naturally tend towards things. And so God makes allowances and he understands that. That doesn't mean that he allows us to continue that way, but he understands that about us and makes a way for us in those circumstances. And we heard the story of Ruth. We find Ruth is the example of the outsider, of the disenfranchised. She needed food, she needed sustenance, she needed to survive. And she found that God had provided a way already through the law. Perhaps she uh, 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 noticed it and, and, and thought it strange, but maybe as she was entering in or as she had walked around the first few days, but she had noticed something different about the land of Israel that wasn't like the land of Moab. And, and, and we're not sure quite when she figured it out, but she noticed that every field that she passed, they didn't harvest all the field, that there was always a little bit of grain, there were always some grapes, there was always some vines, some olives left, despite the fact that it was harvest because she would enter the field to gather with them. It wasn't that way in Moab. And, and, and again, we're not sure how she learned the purpose of the corners. That We're not sure how she learned the law of the corners. But we find that she goes to the field eventually to glean from the corners. Really, it was the only place for her to go. She had no right. She had no privilege. She had nothing. The only place where she could get what she needed was in the corners. Sometimes when we look at the church and what the church is doing, we feel like we can't be involved because of who we are, what we don't have, where we've come from, talents that we lack, abilities that we don't have. We seem to look to the middle of the field, and it seems like everyone knows each other out there. Everyone seems to know what they're doing out there in the middle of the field. There seems little left for us there and sometimes we look to the middle and think man if I could be a part of that if I could get out there and yet our circumstance our situation our mindset it seems like everything contrives against us to get to that point we turn our gaze towards that place and we feel like we can't be a part we can't do anything in the church or in the kingdom 
I'll just stay over here by myself then out of the way of everyone else. Out of the way of everyone else. I want you to understand a few things about the corners. I think the first thing to understand is this fact, first of all, is there's always room in the harvest field. Oh, I know we've heard a lot about the harvest, and let me tell you, you're going to keep hearing more about the harvest, not every week, but it's going to stay in front of you. Let me remind you of this fact. I don't care if you're Ruth, Naomi, Boaz, I don't care who you are. There is always room in the harvest field. Ruth was a stranger, she was a foreigner, she was an outsider, she was someone with no heritage, no lineage, no place in Jewish culture. She had everything going against her. She was a foreigner and a widow in a strange land. And and I know we know that God has it all under control in our heads. And I know we know in our head that He knows the end from the beginning. But sometimes circumstances in the way we respond demonstrate that we don't really believe that. But let me tell you, when God spoke to Moses in Leviticus and he told him to leave the corners of the field, it wasn't just some random thought that God said this might be nice to happen. I think it would be good and and a kind thing to do. I believe that when God said that, he saw a woman hundreds, thousands of years later that would be in the lineage of Jesus Christ, who one day would be in desperate need of food with nowhere to go. And so God said to Moses, you need to leave a corner corner of the field and it's just for Ruth it's for someone that I have in mind from the foundations of when I give this let me tell you that God cares about you more than you even realize that God sees your situation and where you are right now and I don't care how you feel about it God cares about you he loves you and God is providing a way for you God saved you from a life of sin. He saved you from a life of searching, a life separated from God and righteousness. And let me tell you, He's not going to leave you apart. He's not going to leave you alone. He's not going to leave you an outcast, separated in His kingdom. No, He has fitly joined you to this body. He has fitly put you in His kingdom. He has put you in this field. And there's room for you in the field. I know you may not be the same as everyone else. I I know it may look like circumstances are against you, but there's always room in the harvest field. And He has put you in the field to be a part of the harvest. You look to the middle and you see everyone doing things out there. But have you ever considered that God may have a corner that He has saved just for you? He's got a corner saved Just for you. Which leads me to we need to understand something else too. Don't diminish the corners. Do not diminish the corners. Again, they're the corners of the edge. I don't know, perhaps you're different, uh, but a lot of times when people come and there's uh, a, a, a freshly baked cake. Freshly baked cake. Unless there's icing all around it covering up all the mess-ups and burnt edges. If there's icing all around and a pretty icing flower, I don't like a bunch of icing. I know I'm strange, I'm odd, that's fine. I don't like all that icing. I prefer the cake. But have you ever made a cake and someone come up and said, I want the piece right in the middle? Like, for goodness sake, you kidding me? Actually, I kind of prefer the middle. I don't ask for the middle. 
I don't ask for that. But I kind of like the middle because sometimes it's a little more doughy in there. I don't know, I kind of like a little more doughy. That's the thing with the fried pizza. It's crispy on the outside, doughy in the middle. Oh, that's good. Starting to get heartburn thinking about it. A lot of times we, we think of the corner as the outside. Sometimes that's where if on a cake it gets burnt on the outside first. It might be a little chewy on the outside. And if you've ever burnt a cake, you're like, well, just get past the outside. Get to the middle. That's, that's, it's good in the middle. Think of the edge. Sometimes we think of the corners as the leftover. The not quite as good. Let me tell you, don't diminish the corners. Part of the problem sometimes we have is, is it's not us, but it's how we view the corners. We see the corners as less than because it's not the middle where everyone else is, where everyone else seems to be working. I think we need to understand something about the corners is that when God gave the law in Leviticus, when He said to leave the corners, and again, as uh, with so many other laws, there's so many uh, things about where you can leave that they made and all these different things about it. And actually, they've got it to, to where they said you didn't have to leave the exact corners, just leave a portion depending on the size of your field. But however the law was set up and then carried out, God did not institute the law uh, with this in mind. But he, he didn't tell them to leave the worst of the field. He didn't tell them to put all the bad grain there, and then when that grows, you leave that for the poor. He didn't say, leave the less fruitful for the foreigner over here, leave the less fruitful crops in the corners. He said, leave the corners of the field. And let me tell you, the harvest in the corners is just as good as the harvest in the middle. The harvest in the corners is just as fruitful as the harvest in the middle. You need to be careful how you view God's harvest. You see, because Scripture plainly says that He is the Lord of the harvest. He is the one that controls the harvest. We know that we can sow, that we can plant, that that we can do those things, but only God can bring the increase. And so if the field is ready to be harvested, it's only because God has brought forth the increase. And you better be careful if you find yourself in a corner saying, this is nothing, there's nothing here, I don't know what I can do, because God brought forth that harvest. You better not diminish the work. Work that God has done in his field. Let me say that if God says it's a harvest, then you know what? It's worthy of my work. It's worthy of my effort. It's worthy of my endeavor, no matter how I may view it in my life. You see, in our life, we have levels and degrees of importance in the harvest. But I think it's pretty plain from what you've heard in this church over the years, God does not view it in degrees of importance God views it as a soul who needs Him. Tell you, that person in jail is a harvest. That person sitting in the nursing home is a harvest. The shut-in who can't make it to church, that's a harvest. The person that's addicted, that's a harvest. 
the person who keeps messing up time and time again, that's no less of a harvest than anybody else. We better be careful. God may have put us in those places where we think there's not much going on here. I don't know what I can accomplish here. But if God has put me in the harvest, then that means He's got something there that I need to do. And it's worthy of my work. It's worthy of my effort. I'm here to tell you today, if you're having trouble finding your place in the middle, maybe God is calling you to a corner of the harvest. But don't diminish that corner. Do not diminish that corner. You see, I can't diminish it because it was in the corner that Ruth found everything she had been looking for. (laughs) Oh, it didn't start out that way. It did not start out that way. When I was in... uh, Most of us are hopefully a long way from where we were. I know I am. (laughs) I'm a long way. (laughs) This week alone, I will speak as much as I did in my entirety in Bible school in four years, including all preaching classes. Somehow I got away with it. Somehow they avoided me. Don't start out, you don't start out thinking this is where I'm going to find what I've been looking for. The places that God puts you. I, I know uh, one, one Sunday morning we were supposed to go to church in Bible school, believe it or not. One Sunday morning my roommate and I overslept. We had 10 minutes to get to church or else we would be late. And um, then we get marked off, fail church. I did three years. Failed church three years. It's another story. So we decided, we said, he, he told me, he said, you know, there's a nursing home service. We could probably make it to that and it would count as church. So we got dressed in 10 minutes. It was five minutes down the road. We were in the nursing home service 15 minutes after we woke up. Smelling fresh as daisies, I'm sure. When the nursing home thinks you don't smell too good, then. (laughs) So we went there, kept going, kept going to the nursing home. It was amazing what God starts doing in in little things. Never thinking going to a nursing home is going to end up somewhere else. (laughs) Never thinking that preaching to people and as they fall asleep and their false teeth come out. God was preparing you for Wednesday night in Salem. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) He knew. He knew. (laughs) But Ruth didn't go to the corner of that field expecting to find her fortune. She went there because she needed something that day. She needed food that day. Sometimes we get so concerned about what we don't have, about how we're not being used, about what little there is in it for us, without little to show, with very little to show for it. We find ourselves in the corner thinking about there's not much here. 
There's just a nursing home service. There's just a few people that I'm talking to. In fact, there's only one person at work that even cares about what I say. Maybe, maybe you're in the situation where uh, family is taking up time and, and, and there's a ministry to our kids and various things. And, and we begin to, to, to look and we think how little there is here compared to what other people are doing. Let me remind you that God is my provider. And if I believe that, then my place in the harvest does not hinder his provision. Doesn't hinder his provision. You see, the important thing is that I get involved where he places me, whether it's a corner or not. And when I get involved in where he's placed me and doing where he's doing what he's called me to do, where he's placed me, it's amazing to see what starts to happen when I start doing what God has told me to do. You see, because the corner was just a place where Ruth was going for that day, but she found her sustenance in that corner. Everything that Ruth needed started in the corner. The food that she needed for that day came from the corner. Favor from the Lord of the harvest was found in the corner. Purpose was eventually found in the corner. Value was found in the corner. Her future was found in the corner of the field. Her family was changed forever because of the corner of the field. Her financial position changed because of the corner of the field. Let me tell you, if you are willing to get involved where God has placed you, where God has put you, no matter how insignificant it may seem to you, no matter how small it may feel to you, God will start to do things in your life and through your life that you never thought were possible before. I'm here to tell you, don't diminish the corner. Don't despise the corner. Don't reject the corner. If God's put you there, then you do everything you can there. You enter the harvest with everything you've got and trust and believe that God will provide and do what only He can do. Lastly, God has called us to the corners. He's called us to the corners. We read in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 about the progression of the gospel after the Holy Ghost was promised and after it fell. In Acts 1.8, the promise says that it would start in the middle where they were in Jerusalem. It would spread out from there to Judea, Samaria, then to the uttermost parts of the world. And we understand this is a literal geographical statement that Jesus makes because this is literally how it happened. It started in Jerusalem, went to Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost part of the, of the world. But Jesus mentions that word uttermost. And really translated, it speaks to the edges, the outer reaches, if I could for this sermon say, the corners. The four corners of the world. Jesus states we are called where we are. It starts out that way, that which is closest to us. But we are also called to the edges and to the corners. Whether Jesus' words are meant to be taken only geographically or if they have a deeper meaning for you and I, I think we can agree that it's God's will for the whole harvest to be gathered. He's not willing that any should perish. From when God gave this law in Leviticus, when He gave that law, His purpose was not in wasting the harvest. It wasn't about wasting a harvest. It was about not letting the... It, what, he didn't give the law so that the harvest could mold. So that the harvest could die. So that that harvest that someone had worked and planted in this case, the sacrifice that Jesus had made would become useless and in vain. Jesus did not die on the cross in vain. 
He died for a harvest. The whole point of the harvest, whether it was the owner of the field or whether it was a foreigner or or, or a poor person who came by, the whole point of the harvest, it didn't matter who gathered it, it was that the harvest be gathered. That was the point. There is a harvest so that it can be gathered. It was not his intention for the corners to be left. It was not his intention for the corners to go to waste. It was his intention that every part of the harvest would be gathered. And I'm here to challenge you and I that God has called us to every part of the harvest. It is God's intention for every corner of your school to be reached. It is God's intention for every corner of your workplace to be reached. Every corner of your neighborhood. Every corner of this community to be reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ because he has a harvest in every corner and he is looking for people to enter into the middle and also the edges and into every corner with the gospel. Instead, we like to get depressed that all we have is a corner. I'm stuck here. But if God has called you to reach one person, why don't you make a difference in that corner? If you think all I can do is minister to my kids and I don't have time, I can't do anything else because whatever your circumstances are, then don't despise that. You make a harvest in that corner. Well, the only people that I can talk to are this, and the only doors that I have open are this, and nobody, and I can't see them. You know what? Quit, quit telling all of that and just say, Lord, if you've put me in this corner, if you've opened these doors, then I can look and compare myself to everything else. Or I could say, Lord, you've called me to this corner. You've called me to the edge of this field. But you know what? I'm going to reap a harvest here because you've given a harvest, and you're worthy of me producing and bringing in this harvest. God put you there for a reason because in some way, you see, I don't always know it. I don't always understand it. I can't even figure out sometimes in my own life. But if God has put you there, he's put you there for a reason. And here's the reason. You are uniquely qualified to reach that corner. God does not. (laughs) I just got done teaching Jeremiah and so I'm stuck on Jeremiah. But God called Jeremiah before he was born to be a prophet to the nations. God knew before he was born what he was going to do with him. And let me tell you, God knew before you were born. And so he qualified you to go where he has put you. And I know sometimes I don't think I can do it until all of a sudden I pray about it. And God begins to show me, no, there's something inside of you. You may have to stir it up. You may have to do something about it. But if God has put you wherever he's put you, he's done it because he's given you what you need to reap a harvest where you are so you need to take the gospel with everything you've got you need to preach the gospel with everything you've got because God has put you there he's called you there and he's done it so that you can reap a harvest if you feel like an outsider you're in good company Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 12 wherefore Jesus also that he might sanctify the people with his own blood Suffered without the gate. Yeah, he went to where the trash heaps were. He went to where the broken pottery was. He went outside the gate. Jesus died outside the camp for those outside the camp. 
So don't feel like you're out of place because you feel like an outsider. That's where Jesus died, and he died for the outsider. And he uses outsiders. He uses the disenfranchised. In fact, he uses what the world would say is nothing, and yet God does something with it. It's God's intention for all the harvest to be gathered, even the uttermost places in the world. And I close with this passage from Numbers. Numbers chapter 11, starting in verse 24. It says, And Moses went out, and he told the people the words of the Lord, and gathered the seventy men of the elders of the people, and sent them, set them round about the tabernacle. And the Lord came down in a cloud, and spake unto him, and took of the Spirit that was upon him, and gave it unto the seventy elders. And it came to pass that when the Spirit rested upon them, they prophesied, and did not cease. That's a powerful image we have there. The word of God speaks to Moses. Moses tells the people the words of the Lord. Then he gathers 70 men of the elders of the people, puts them around the tabernacle. The tabernacle was situated in the middle of the camp, right smack in the middle. Everyone faced the tabernacle. And right there in the middle, Moses chooses out 70 people out of over two and a half million probably. He chooses 70. They're in the tabernacle, at the tabernacle. It says the Lord comes down in a cloud, speaks to Moses. He takes the spirit of Moses and gives it to the 70 elders. And the spirit rested upon them. They prophesied and did not cease. That would be powerful to be part of that 70. That would be amazing to, to be standing in the tabernacle with Moses. And then the Lord comes down in a cloud, speaks and... All of a sudden, people begin to prophesy. The Spirit rests upon them. This, this is the most amazing thing that's ever happened to them. Again, we don't, we don't even understand. We don't really even comprehend because if you've got the Holy Ghost, man, this is with you all the time. Just in case you wanted to know that. But this didn't happen. This wasn't the normal. This wasn't regular church. Can you imagine what it was like to be part of that 70? To be in the middle, to, to be right there where His Spirit comes and Moses is there and everything's happening. Wow! Imagine if you were part of the 2,499,930. The other people. The other people. And you're watching 70 have this move of God. Might you feel a little left out? <laughs> Read verse 26. But there remained two men of the uh, two, two of the men in the camp. The name of the one was Eldad, the name of the other was Medad. It's it's funny to me in scripture how people with names the same tend to end up together. It should have been like Jehovah has and Eldad. No, it's Eldad and Medad. It's like the two brothers, Huzz and Buzz. I mean, I hope they were twins. So there's Eldad and Medad on the edge of the camp. And the Spirit rested upon them. And they were of them that were written, but went not out unto the tabernacle. And they prophesied in the camp. We don't know why Eldad and Medad were not with the rest of the elders. Perhaps it's because people made fun of their names. 
We don't know why they weren't with the rest of the elders. The way the verse is written, people have surmised that perhaps they were supposed to be apart, but for whatever reason, they decided not to go. Which, in my mind, doesn't really seem to fit because I would find it hard to believe that these men were called by Moses to go and, and meet with the 70 elders and then God honors their unwillingness to show up. Typically, we don't find in Scripture where God honors the unwilling. <laughs> that could be what it was. Others put forward all kinds of ideas about why they were not chosen. Whether these men were chosen or not or whatever they were. And there's ideas all over about who these two men were. And we don't really know anything else about them except what we find in this passage. The fact is, we don't know why they weren't there with Moses. Why they weren't standing in the ta- at the tabernacle. Why they weren't with the other 70 chosen elders. Why they weren't in the middle with the rest. You can surmise that they weren't worthy enough. They weren't talented enough. They didn't have enough abilities. They, whatever the reason, they weren't there in the middle. They were on the edge. For the sake of this message tonight, perhaps we could say that Eldad and Medad were in the corners Somewhere. They were left in the corners. The outcast, the foreigner. Didn't have enough to qualify. But I believe that whatever else may have caused them to not be there. Whatever the reason was. There was something still stirring inside of them. There was a desire stirring inside of them. I don't know why they weren't picked to be there. But there was still something going on inside of them. They said, it doesn't matter where I am. It doesn't matter if I'm at the tabernacle standing next to Moses himself. It doesn't matter if I'm at the edge of the camp. It doesn't matter if I have coffee with the pastor every day or he never calls me. It doesn't matter if I'm asked to do a bunch of stuff or I'm not even on anyone's list to do anything. There was something stirring inside of them. There was something going on inside of them. And when the Spirit of God moved, when the Spirit of God began to fall, somehow it found their desire. Now, I don't know if these were the only two men in the camp that desired, but there was something with the Spirit of God and what was going on inside of them that connected. I don't believe that they were just going about their business and had no clue about what was going on. I don't believe that they were just oblivious to everything and they were just piddling around one day, whittling, and all of a sudden the Spirit of God... No, I think there was something going on inside of them that said, you know what? It doesn't matter if we're at the tabernacle. It doesn't matter where we are. I may be standing in a corner somewhere. But I want to receive what I can from God. I want to do whatever I can for God. And I'm praying tonight that the edges, that the corners, just like in this story, all of a sudden something catches on fire in the corners. That it's in the middle. That it's on the edges. That it's in the corners. That all of a sudden it doesn't matter where I am, what I feel is going on, or if I feel like I'm a part or not. No, I want to be a part of the kingdom of God. I want to be a part of what God is doing and I'm praying that a desire stirs inside every one of us to do what God has called us to do I'm praying that all the harvest will be reached in Salem 
I'm praying that every corner of this community is touched. And you know what? It's going to take people in the middle. It's going to take people on the edges. It's going to take people in the corners. And not people just standing there looking around wondering what's going on. No, it's going to take people with desire that are willing to allow the Spirit of God to flood their lives, to touch their lives, to use their lives to do something great and mighty for the kingdom of God. As we stand this evening... We need everybody in the harvest. We need people to harvest in the middle. We need people to harvest in the edges. We need people to harvest in the corners. We need people reaching to the uttermost parts of the world. I wonder what would happen if we began to understand that God has called this church to every corner. This church to every corner. I know that's easy to say because when we say the church, we say the church, that's easy because that's everyone else, right? But if this church is called to every corner, that means there's going to be people here called to the corners. Imagine what would have happened in Ruth's life. She goes to the field. She looks and she walks straight to the middle of the field. Says, well, you know what? They're all here. I think I should be here too. You know what would have happened? They'd have kicked her out. Crazy foreign lady. They'd have kicked her out. She had no place to be there. But you know what? She found her a corner. There was no recognition in the corner. In fact, as soon as she went to the corner, everybody knew who she was. She's either poor or a foreigner. They knew. On some level, she had to be willing to lose her reputation, whatever it may have been. On some level, she had to lose a sense of pride. To say, you know what? I'm all right going right here. But when she was willing to do that, in fact, it sounds a lot like In Isaiah, when it prophesies, he was despised, rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. In fact, if you look at the life of Jesus, it seems to me he spent a lot of time in the corners. He spent a lot of time in the corners. In fact, if we're honest, how many of us did he find in the corner? found me in the corner and all of a sudden I feel like I'm too good for the corner there's a lot more me's and you's in the corners and if God has called me there it's because he's got a harvest there and if he's got a harvest I need to do whatever I can to reap that harvest If it's in the middle of the corner, wherever it is, I want us to pray right now. I pray that something I've said is maybe stirred inside of you. Maybe there's someone here tonight and you felt that disconnect and you've wondered, God, I I don't know what's going on. I'm not sure. I'm not. You know what? There's room in the harvest. There's room in the harvest. 
I believe if I turn my eyes to the harvest, I'm going to start finding things. And, and no, it may not be like this person or it may not be like that. But you know what? I don't want to despise the harvest that God has put me into. If he's put me in a corner, then you know what? I'm going to reap a harvest in that corner. I'm going to do everything I can in that corner. Oh, come on right now. Let's pray right now. Come on, I, I, I realize this word may not be for everyone, but I believe that somebody needs to hear this word tonight, that you are important, that you are part of the kingdom, that you, you are a part of the harvest, that God wants to do something with your life, that he wants to use where you are, that, that you have what it takes, that he's given you what you need to do what he has called you to do, where he has placed you in the kingdom. Oh, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I pray right now that something would begin to stir, that a desire would begin to stir in somebody's life, that they may not be at the tabernacle, they may not be what seems like the most important place of the time, but you know what? The Spirit of God can move, it can touch, it can do something in their heart and life, Lord, that you would cause a stirring in somebody, God, that your anointing would fall on somebody like it never has before, God, that a boldness would come on somebody tonight, God, Lord, that a purpose that a confidence in your calling would hit somebody tonight, God. Oh, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Oh, I believe you, Lord God. I believe you, Lord God. Hallelujah, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord Jesus. I thank you, Lord God. I thank you, Lord God. Oh, thank you, Lord Jesus. I thank you, Lord Jesus. Oh, I worship your name, God. Oh, I worship your name, God. Hallelujah, Lord Jesus. Lord, I pray that your spirit would, would temper us together in unity, God, right now. Lord, that it would temper us together. Lord, sometimes I know that's others, but sometimes it's me, God, that you've got to work on. Lord, that you've got to do a work in my heart and life. But Lord, I want to be united with your kingdom, God. Lord, I know that you have saved me, Lord, that you have called me, and I want to be united in your kingdom and your purpose, God. So, Lord, do whatever it takes, God, in my life. Lord, I want to be united with your body, Lord. Oh, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord Jesus. I thank you, Lord God. I thank you, Lord God. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Lord God. I pray that somebody receives the word of the Lord in their spirit tonight. Amen. I don't know who you are in this place tonight, but if you feel like a Ruth, there's a place in this kingdom for you. And God is... We need you. We need you. God has put you in the kingdom, in his kingdom, in this field for right now. I pray somebody receives his word tonight. Amen. Let's give him praise one more time for his word. I thank you, Lord, that you speak to us, God, that your word is faithful and true. Lord, that you challenge us, that you encourage us. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name. Amen. I encourage you to get involved in the harvest where God has placed you. If it's a corner, if it's in the middle... Get involved in the harvest. And you know what? Amazing things happen when I get involved in the harvest. Amen. God's doing something in our midst. He's doing something in this community. Amen. I pray that God keeps my spirit stirred. Amen. I want to find his will and purpose every single day. Amen. Thank you for being here in service tonight. Thank you for worshiping, responding to the preaching of the word. Amen. Remember the announcements.
You're dismissed tonight in Jesus' name.